Welcome, everybody, to another episode of The Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels, and as always, thank you for listening to this sports podcast. A lot to discuss as we're into June. NBA final, Stanley Cup final. First off, I'm talking to Joe Crisali about all things hockey with the Vegas Golden Knights up 2-0 on the Florida Panthers. Will those pesky 8-seed Panthers bounce back? How is Vegas look so strong? We break all the action down with Joe Crisali. March is so Ico. Aiden Hill taking it right now to Bobrovsky, Kachuk, and more. We talk a little bit about the Rangers and their coaching search, and then we talk a little baseball as well. Break down all that with Joe Crisali, and then NBA Finals with Ryan Souls. Nuggets and Heat deadlocked at one apiece. What's going to be the key to this series? Can Miami really do it? Can another eight seed from South Florida knock off the big bad Nuggets? We break down some football storylines as well. It's Joe Crisali and Ryan Souls on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, back again, uh, a very decorated sports professional, Joe Crisali, joining the show. <laughs> Joe, uh, thanks for coming in. I know you got your, your first sports Emmy, an honor for you. Congrats on that. But thanks for taking time to uh, talk a little hockey. Yeah, thanks for the shout. I'm always I'm always here for you. Yeah, I know that. I know. it's. Uh, well, I, I, we can also start with this. I know it's a great time of year for you. You got that and you got your nuggets still going strong. And who knew that they would be the team that's the most stable in your life? Um, I think it kind of says more about <laughs> the other teams, but yeah, at least you got Never that. Never a thing. Never been a thing in my life that the nuggets are the stable team. I necessarily wouldn't even say that they're totally stable right now being 1-1 with the Heat, but <laughs> it is the finals. Everyone's kind of like, freaking out they're like oh man the nuggets what are they gonna do now i'm like it's the finals man like yeah. the other team is gonna play be playing their hearts out too it's not like the whole thing's gonna be a cakewalk so i'm i'm not gonna say i'm sweating it all yet for it but i mean i've been sweating the whole time just having them in the finals for the first the first time ever in my in my life so yeah hoping they they figure it out here Hey, it's exciting. It's a new opportunity for a team that hadn't won one, so it's uh, it's about enjoying it. Hopefully it goes their way. We'll see with Game 3. Uh, in the hockey world, two teams that have never won it. Vegas, who's just been around for a few years, uh, six seasons, second time in the Cup Final, but four times they've made the Final Four, which is just insane to think a team starting out could be that good. They play the Florida Panthers, another 18th. Eight seed from South Florida in another final, uh, but it's been all Vegas through the first two games. So two games in, two home games. Vegas holds serve, remarkable stuff um, from my perspective. Yeah. And I'll kind of open it with this. I mean, Vegas has just gone and just dictated play. Florida looked unbeatable, and they were eleven and one in their previous twelve playoff games. But new series, new opponent, Joe and Vegas just is shutting them down so far. Yeah, it's you know, it's what happens when you get to the final. Florida kind of looks like they might be running out of gas, which you don't necessarily want to hear or see on a team that, like you said, went 4-3, 4-1, and 4-0 head into this uh, matchup here with the Knights. But, you know, the Knights are firing on all cylinders, and all of a sudden Aiden Hill is like, yeah, I'm the best goalie. So, I mean, would they score four in the first game? Seven, seven, two, five in game one, five, two, seven, two. Yeah, those are pretty convincing performances. Yeah. You know, game one was close. I mean, it was tied going into the third. They exploded, dominated the third one. Um, this last game was just a beat down. And and your Florida point, I think, is accurate. That 
they might be running out of steam. They also did have all that time off, and I wonder with a team that you know was riding the hot streak from three one down against Boston to just you know playing with house money. I wonder if that time off, it's you know, it's not so much the rust thing, Joe. It's but you lose that momentum, you lose that hot streak that you're on. So I don't think that yeah. was good necessarily either. And, and you know, also the fact that you know it's not just Bobrovsky coming back down to earth, but it's it's not just Officer Bob, but it's also the fact that you know Vegas is doing things and they're getting free you know free looks. I mean, some of those goals last night were just little resistance on the defensive side. But I will say this: if I was a, an official betting man. I should have put all my money on Vegas when Barbashev took out Gudis, when they took out the biggest heavy on the other team with that reverse hit because that changed everything in that game. And it was you know startling to see, but also was a huge loss for Florida to lose a guy like that in their back end. Yeah, that dude finishes. I draft him every year in my fantasy team, man. He has like 350 hits a season. That's a big guy to lose. But I'm going to be a little superstitious here. The Panthers... They touched the Prince of Wales trophy. Uh oh. Before they hoisted it, the Knights said, "We're not doing that." It's, you know, you just, I don't. That's I, not the trophy not, you want to touch. I know, but I'm not going to go because this is like Crosby touched it, Ovechkin touched it. You know, Vegas actually did touch it the same year that the Capitals touched it, and then Capitals won, so Vegas did an about face. Uh, it's not the full super. I'm not going to go all the way with you. I get what you're saying. Yeah. I. I you know, and looking at it, I don't think they really celebrated it. I think they just grabbed it and wanted to say, like, curses are stupid. But I am with you in the oh, sense they that were, you they were be, celebrating. Uh, they had uh, all that, that extra time off. They were celebrating. Okay. All right. Well, look, what Vegas does, and, and, and depth-wise, I think, is where it, it hits home. I mean, they're really built like those. I know it's a, a sore subject for you, but they're built like those old Kings teams because I think they're, they're huge up front. They've got three to four solid lines. And they just keep coming yeah. in waves, and there isn't really the drop off there. I mean, what they've been able to do, you know, with with that line of, I mean, they've been playing a lot of March or so, Eichel and uh, Barbashev. You also have Mark Stone, who's just a perfect captain out there, and you could kind of come with different waves of guys, Carlson as well. Um, they're they're just they're tough, and and they've got guys who've won before, Petrangelo, Alec Martinez. I mean, Quick's not playing, but guys in that locker room that have had success. I mean, it's a pretty yeah. well-constructed roster for this time of year. It was very nice to see Eichel get absolutely lit up last <laughs> night, too. That was fantastic. Clean, man. That was a that clean was a hit. Clean, long time coming for him. It probably just, it probably helped him, honestly, in the grand scheme that he slipped a little bit because it might have been way worse if he didn't. I don't know that Kachuk yeah, would have slowed up. Right, yeah, it would have went right into his dome because Kachuk wasn't, Fully yeah. facing him, he kind of got a little shoulder. And just say this is another thing where I, I like hockey a lot in the sense that both those guys, I mean Eichel specifically, said, "Hey, it's a clean hit. It happens. Got to keep my head up out there." Just great accountability. Yeah. You might not see that in certain other uh, or other leagues. I can appreciate that for sure. I just midway through the year when they made that Eichel trade and then they trade away Andre Fleury, you're like, okay, so what are they doing? Are they thinking that this is going to be? a championship-worthy team, and this is just me saying I'm never going to question the pro GMs with what they're doing yeah. because <laughs> clearly they know what's going to work, and it's working. And, I mean, Eichel, you acquire a guy like him, and he comes back and does what he does, and they got uh, Kessel in there. You know, it, it just mm-hmm. seemed like they were creating a balanced young and old type, type lineup, and it's working. 
And I really didn't think Aiden Hill was going to be this type of guy yeah. in the playoffs, especially like yeah. seeing him the last few years in Arizona and uh, San Jose. I think he was there for a year. Let's see. He hasn't won. Yeah. Like he was backing up this year, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, that's the difference. I mean, that that's really that was the question with them because they were the number one points, you know, the, essentially the number one seed in the West. But we wondered about goaltending and I guess high level goal scoring because Eichel led the team in points with not outrageous numbers, but scoring by committee hasn't wavered, and they've got a guy now at Aiden Hill. I mean, if we're talking like what happens with they win the cup, Con Smythe, Eichel's in the mix, Hill's right at the top. I've always loved Marchessault's game. It just yeah, I feel Marcheseau. like he's their most important forward. Eichel has more skill. Stone as a leader, two-way player, great at taking the puck away from other people. But Marcheseau seems like the guy for them. He just always finds himself in the right position. It was very overlooked, too, um, even especially by me. Mark Stone missed a lot of the season. So mm-hmm. you weren't even really seeing the Knights, what they really were capable of at full strength. And I mean, they're hot at the right time. They're healthy at the right yeah. time. And that's just kind of how it goes. I mean, the Panthers really got to flip it around. Bob has not looked good these first two games compared to how he was even every series up into this one. So they got a lot of work to do, the Panthers. It, I, I think if they don't take both games at home, it's yeah. going to be tough sled. Right. Just because you can't, you can't go back 3-1 to Vegas to play that game. It's just going to be too, too tall of an order for them, I think, to overcome, not especially not having their guys back yeah. there. There, uh, there was a lot to be said about you know how Vegas built this team in the sense that they you know had their initial run with the expansion draft success, hit the home run there. Then they hit a little bit of a wall. They made that ill, ill-advised trade for Thomas Tatar where they traded draft picks and they had cap problems and all this stuff, but they carved their way out of it. And you know Barbashev, the guy who took out Gudis, I forgot how good he was too. He's always in the mix. He had 26 goals last year with St. Louis, still a young guy and was a little injured in the trade this year, you know, missed some time. He's stepping up nicely. Kessel is not even in the lineup. They haven't inserted him back in because how well it's going. It's pretty scary. Um, that said, though, Florida does have a chance to get back in this series. It's going to take a lot more of a <laughs> – it's going to take a lot more of a back check and a forecheck specifically. I don't think Florida's doing enough when they get <laughs> the puck in the zone. Um, yeah. And they're going to have to – you know, their, their primetime players are going to have to step up. I mean, Kachuk got that goal to start the third, but – I just don't know if offensively they're going to get enough out of Montour, out of Bennett, out of some of these guys that have been kind of quiet through two games. Yeah, you, you're looking at guys like Sam Reinhart, who was kind of the story of the first couple rounds for them. You know, he first two games, minus two, only got three shots on goal. So they need just not their top line guys to step up. Eric Stahl last game, minus two. Barkov, haven't heard much much of him yeah, starting it out here. Also, him. zero points for Hagee. Yeah, I mean the list goes, the list goes on. We could just go through their whole roster of everyone that hasn't done anything so far. Yeah, but I, uh, I, I'm I'm with you with that. I, and you know, every year we do this, and we're always in hindsight like, why weren't we picking? You know, whatever team ends up winning, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to keep a streak going. I you know I know Columbus has done well in this regard, but the Rangers seem to always have an ex guy who uh, <laughs> always the cup this time of year. Yeah, I think Vegas, too, was the team also that we thought was going to take a step back this year. And it looked yeah, we're initially like we were going to be right. We were like, okay, like, we know what we're talking about. But like I said before, 
they just weren't healthy and now they are. So it's yeah. going to, Florida's, Florida's got to get through a lot here to, to turn it around as much as I feel like Vegas has kind of become enemy number one for teams in the Western conference because they've ever since they've been in the league, they've been in the playoffs and they've been good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that no one anticipated that nobody thought that was going to be the case. And the fact that it's happened and it keeps happening and, you know, there yeah. just seem like the team that they, it's kind of their time to get the cup because they've proven it to this point. Yeah, and it was game. It was game one of the year that they play the Capitals in the finals five years ago. They win that one, and then game two was a tightly contested loss. They ended up losing that series in five games. They lost four straight. I do feel like there's some symmetry. There's a few of the original players, the misfits left, as they're called. I think they kind of realize now. Okay, like just getting one at home doesn't guarantee anything. You know, you lose home, you might never get the chance to really get back in the don't, series. So Don't tell the Nuggets that, okay? Don't talk about the Nuggets I that won't. way. Yeah, I won't. Hey, <laughs> last thing on hockey before we wrap this up, because I'm, I'm still not over Connor Bedard, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, where are we at with the Rangers coaching search? I can't feel like you're in a good place with where it's been and how dragged out it's been. No, I, I don't necessarily know if it was his time to go. I feel like there was a good culture there which kind of got shaken up when they traded Reeves away he was kind of a locker room well they might have just got rid of him but he was kind of a locker room guy and so is uh, the, the coach they had in there uh, the fact that it's taken this long to find somebody is it a matter of you, it makes you question like is it a matter of some somebody they can't that they can't find or is it somebody doesn't want the job you know because there's a lot of pressure if you're only going to get in there to rebuild and get two years with mm-hmm. guys that have been in the league for two years and haven't been able to really showcase their, their talents as much as um, like a top pick normally would. And they're not even really top pick quality. Like Lafreniere, you compare him to previous number one overall picks. Like he's not Connor McDavid. You look at Kako. He, these are not top line players that they've gotten. So, I just, I don't know. I just feel like it, it goes both ways. They are looking at, I, I can't even tell you. I, I don't know who wants that job because well, yeah, I, it's been, it's been a, it's been a circle. It's been a rotating I don't, circus. So last few years. the, the bigger, I mean, the other thing is the issue of the retreads, which I don't necessarily like, I get that there's, you know, your AHL coach with the wolf pack. They, I guess don't want to promote yeah. him. You know, retreads in hockey seem to be more common than other sports, and I get it, and it does work. The thing with the NHL and the thing with coaches like Galan in particular is it does seem like there's that short shelf life because they're intense coaches that eventually players' locker rooms just tune them out. And it sounds like that was starting to happen. You know, Chris Drury, I think, has done a pretty good job with being aggressive. You know, he hasn't been around for some of the drafts that you mentioned that weren't great, but they did a good job in try to, trying to address talent and get big names and get names through the trades and, and deadlines and stuff. But this is a tough yeah. one because I think this court, whatever it is, like they're, they're at a point where I don't know that you can add many more big names or take big swings. It's a short, shortish window where, okay, it's time to win now. So I think they're just trying to find the right coach. That's going to really run for like a three year window and get them deep in the playoffs because you don't really have the lecture being able to build anything with how the team is. Yeah. I, I like Salon. I liked his energy. Um, I kind of wish they gave him another year, but 
like I said earlier, like I got to stop questioning the pro GMs and the decisions that they make. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I re- remember reading something about the possibility of like Patrick Raw coming in. Oh boy, but just won I, just won the Memorial Cup, but yeah, that guy's crazy. Yeah, but that those rumors got shot down pretty quickly. Seems I don't like know. It's Hines or Laviolette, though. That's what it seems like. It's one of those two. But like, yeah, Laviolette was one. Hines, I think Jay Leach, possibly, maybe Knobloch. But could you possibly like convince? It, could we do? Could we see the the BU to Rangers thing again? Could you convince Jay Pandolfo to leave BU already? I don't know if you could, but he's I don't. But well. I also don't know if that's the play because yeah. that's similar to Big like Quinn. you said, bring up. Yeah, similar to that, and it's also another step in why not just promote the Wolfpack coach. But like you said, they're looking to bring somebody in that has the cup experience that's been in the playoffs, that knows how to win and can ride the team for a couple of years at chasing the cup instead of rebuild type. But such an overhaul every couple of years, it doesn't, it just doesn't bode well for success. In my opinion, like, you're looking at certain coaches just changing over. I mean, I don't want to compare to Baker Mayfield or the Browns, okay. but like that over that overturn did not help him at all. Not that's not saying he was an amazing player, okay. but if you compare, he was the yeah. first overall pick. So was Lafreniere. If you look at how good they are, they're probably equal sport wise as far as like well, not being. That there's guy. more places in hockey, like quarterbacks, tough comparison. Cause you, it's like, there's one spot you're going to play or you're not going to play with hockey. You could be a third or fourth line guy, which is in his case, a disappointment because of where he was drafted. So you might, you don't want to close the book on the being an NHL player, but as a top, top guy, it's kind of tough to see it happening at this point. But you know, that was a yeah, tough one. I, I, I think it, I think it makes sense. It's just, mm-hmm. The, the constant turnover every two years, every three years, is just it's no, not I helpful. Hear you. It's, it's going to be a tough one for your Rangers to see. Um, a lot of teams go through these, these you know, coaching searches, but also player development and a lot to, lot to be said there. But uh, Joe Crisale here on the Money Mitch Effect. Before we wrap this up, any updates on the baseball season? You know, your Yankees were in town and they took two or three out of the Dodgers and uh, Aaron Judge hurt his toe running into the wall. So That was an insane insane grab he made though. he really ran through that wall yeah, yeah any updates i mean they were firing on all cylinders they got bader back they got judge back and now they're both about to go i mean bader's just, already back on the ba- yeah so bader is my least favorite yankee not for anything personal but i st- <laughs> why do you wear a two-sided mouth guard i, I was waiting for the mouth guard comment <laughs> it's just like so, I, mean, I guess it gets hurt there's a, lot, a reason <laughs> there's a reason behind it uh he he grinds his teeth so horribly that it okay. destroys his enamel. It comes from his dentist. Okay. All he, right. he, when he plays, he bites down onto his teeth, and he never has not done that, like, throughout I his gotcha. childhood and everything. So it's like a medically induced thing where he has to wear a mouth guard. Otherwise, his teeth are going to be non-existent. I gotcha. But I do think it's funny yeah. to see I mean, a center fielder running around. 
Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, it is. They're uh, you know third place, still doing good. I mean, the Rays are just the juggernaut, and the Orioles being good. I was I was thinking about this with some of the new blood with the Rangers and Orioles coming kind of out of nowhere, uh, especially you know in the AL and then the NL. You have the Pirates who are still shocking everyone, and the Diamondbacks somehow pretty good. So it's kind of new to see some parity in there. It's kind of cool to see that. Yeah, um, it's know. all pitching. It's, it's all pitching. Mm-hmm. The Orioles have never had no their staff pitch this way and it's not like they necessarily even have a lot of new arms in there. But isn't it like great Tyler about Wells, baseball? It's like, you know, there's 162 games. It's like, we're going to see if this holds up. Like it's such a long season. They've started well through 55 games or whatever is 60 games, but it's like, yeah. okay, we have a hundred left to go. So it's a great start, but there's no guarantee to last. Yeah. As soon as we hit the all-star break, how teams come out of that is mm-hmm. really the tell yeah. on what the rest of the season is going to look like. Like, you list off the Orioles starters. Let's see. They really got Kyle Gibson, Kramer, Dean Kramer, Kyle Bradish, Tyler Wells, Austin Box. Does that sound like nope. a Cy Young staff? No, nope. but they have been posting elite numbers in comparison to the rest of the major leagues. And and that's not just their starters. Their bullpen has been lights out. Yenier Cano is one of the best relief pitchers in baseball, and they have a lot of good bridge arms to mm. get into him. And the the same with the Rays. They just know, they just know how to handle a rotation and a bullpen, and they're just a well-oiled machine. A lot of the guys that they threw out there. I mean, they lost some of their best pitchers to start the year. Jeffrey Springs was having an amazing start to the year, out for the season. Drew Rasmussen, another guy that was having a great year, out for the season. But yep. nothing has changed for them. They got they call up Taj Bradley. They got Glass now coming back. Uh, McClanahan is just ridiculous as a pitcher. He goes out there. If he gives up more than one or two runs, it's like, what's happening? I know. And that's that's it, something that the Yankees don't have. It's pretty like, nuts, the man. The guys that they got it. It definitely, so. yeah. I mean, I, I think how teams come out of the all-star break and then what, you know, what their decision is, if they're going to buy, if they're going to sell, that's always fascinating because there's always teams on the fence and it sucks yeah. to the fan base if they sell or if they're staying pat, but you know the other side of that is getting too aggressive when you don't have it, and then you just mortgage, you just threw away years down the road. So it's a tough balance. Yeah. My, my only Guardians update is they still can't hit, and uh, the only highlight recently was when uh, Royce White and the Twins landed on his face. I don't know if you saw that clip. Yeah, yeah, Royce Lewis jumping <laughs> yeah, over Royce him. Lewis, sorry, yeah. Complete, complete scorpion. Just like, break your fall, please, for the love of God. Um, yeah. Man. That was brutal. That was a that was brutal for him. What do you think about the uh, you know the pitch clock and the faster games? Do you have any thoughts on that? I like I like the pitch clock. If I'm being honest, the it speeds the game up and it makes them it makes them actually go. Like the yeah. pitchers don't get all that break time in between, and you know you don't have to. You go to a game at seven, and it's over at nine. It's over it's, at nine. I went to a, the Yankees were here. They played the Mariners. It was uh, a ten inning game, and it was over in like two hours and ten minutes, which would never happen. It's great. Anywhere I, I'm else. with you completely. Uh, the only thing would be if you have a bad team, like or a team that can't hit like mine, it could be just over in the blink of an eye. But hey, it's better than the alternative, which was four hour games that just take forever and all these unnecessary pitching chains. I I wish they did away with the. I mean, the runner on second also speeds it up, but there's got to be mm-hmm. there's got to be some give and take there. The pitch clock, you're already you've already sped the game up, so now you get I the would, extra. Yeah, inning. I would wait till like inning twelve. 
Yeah, if you get if you get through two full innings of extras, yeah, put them on second for sure. I think that's a fair, you know, because you are, you know, getting time back that you were sacrificing. So, yeah, I agree. I think we're in lockstep there. I, and something I that they do in the minors, which is super interesting that they're talking about um, maybe being the next thing that's going to come up into the majors is it's very specific, but on Fridays, that isn't AAA. On Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, each team gets three challenges on pitches. So if a batter wants to challenge a pitch call, if it was called a strike and they think it's a ball, they just throw up an X and they, the umpire has wow. it reviewed and they change it if it, you know, if it's ball or strike. Um, or the catcher can even do it. Anybody can challenge That's the pitch. Cool. Um, hmm. And they yeah. can save it for, you know, yeah crucial situations or if it's just a really bad call. Um, I'm not super, I'm not super sure on the rule if they get it right, if they keep it or how it goes. I think they just get straight. Yeah, that's good. It would just be cool because uh, it's another thing where they're talking about everyone's asking for robo umps. And I think this is another balance where you don't like, it's part of the game to have the, um, you don't Mm -hmm. need a robo ump. You get a couple challenges and they review it, and if it's a ball, it changes the count. Mm. Um, I like it. So that's good. Yeah, this all beats my other my original idea when we were at our lowest point. Nothing was getting done. I said just put like basically for delaying game, just put like hot coals around the uh, pitcher's mound and batter's box. If they step off, they can only go as long as it takes. So just literally yeah. burn their feet to get back on. But no, I'm I'm a fan of where we are with this. I think it's good. So we'll see, man. I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. Yeah. So. Just a few a few little changes here and there, and I think it'll be good to go. Well, Joe, this was fun. Uh, again, congrats on winning your sports Emmy up in Seattle. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, talking sports again here on the Money Mitch Effect. Yeah, thanks, man, always. Huge, huge thanks to Joe Crisale for appearing on this week's episode of the Money Mitch Effect, talking hockey, baseball, And again, congrats to my man for winning a sports Emmy in Seattle. He's doing big things in the sports media world. Always a blast talking with him about hockey and everything else. Now we're going to talk to Ryan Souls about the NBA Finals, the Heat Nuggets series, deadlocked at one. A lot to break down. Jokic and Murray, can they overcome Miami's staunch resistance? Jimmy Butler bounce back and have an explosive game in Miami. What will the coaches do with their rotations? We talk about all the storylines heading into game three and also add a little football on the back end. Here's Ryan Souls now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back again. Spring into summertime, so we're ready to wind down the basketball season before the dog days of summer hit. It's Ryan Souls now. Ryan, thanks for coming back. Only a few basketball games left, so trying to set the stage for a uh, an unprecedented finals in a lot of ways, but uh, we're tied 1-1, so a good couple games coming at least. Yeah, man, and I think, you know, going into this series, a lot of people, uh, myself included, thought that this could be a quick series if things didn't go the right way for Miami, and Miami, of course, just their culture, their tenacity, I mean, just the heart that they play with. I think um, they're, I, you can't say that they're not talented at this point, even though they have undrafted guys, but they're obviously playing 
at the maximum of their talent level just because they understand what the moment is and it's just been fun mm-hmm. to watch this entire playoffs. So my biggest thing with this with this finals and this is where I'm gonna go. Not this is a bigger picture argument I like to make about all sports. And mm-hmm. maybe part of it is rooted in the fact that I root for teams typically that don't come from major markets, but I don't mind that there's not, you know, Boston, LA or whatever cliche you want. Like, it's nice to see new teams on the stage. It's also great when you are watching just as a sports fan with no rooting interest to see teams and fan bases and players in this regard, Ryan, that haven't won titles before. I'm not going to say that I would turn into a giant Nuggets fan, but if they went on a run here, but you know, even before, even for the Warriors with the big bad Warriors, it was cool to see them get their first one to see Steph get his first one. So that's where I'm at from, you know, the Nuggets perspective. And I know the Heat have been here before, but this is a completely new core. This is Jimmy Butler, a guy who doesn't have a ring and is playing like one of the best in the league. So I'm just, that's my message. It's okay to not have, you know, the blue blood, so to speak, in there. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% in the same place. I think if you're a fan of basketball and the X's and O's of it and the, the strategy of it and the individual players, I think you want to see the best teams match up and play their ass off. And I think that's what we're getting from both sides. And that, I mean, that's really all you can ask for. I I think that nobody wants a short series, regardless if it was Boston, LA or a big marquee thing, because that it can go that way too. But I think that's part of it. And honestly, I think the second part of it is I, you know, and I, I, this is not me throwing shade shade because it's a privilege to be able to watch greatness. But I think having LeBron in the league for so long and having Steph up there in years as well, this was kind of a look at the NBA post those two players. And LeBron still got a year or two to play and Steph's got, he can play for, you know, as long as he wants with the way he plays. But it was just interesting to get a look at the future considering the last finals we've dealt with really for the last 10 plus years have either involved LeBron James, Steph Curry, or Kevin Durant. So it's just interesting to see the new face of the NBA, obviously Jimmy Butler being an elder statesman in this league, but a new face on the championship level relatively and Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray have never been here before. So it's just cool to see the future of the league. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people that don't pay attention outside of their teams or some of the big names, big teams, teams in the final that don't realize how good these guys are. I mean, Jokic has been around and winning MVPs, so it's a little different. And Butler, you know, made the finals a few years ago in the bubble. But, like, Jamal Murray is a prime example. I know a lot of people, and I guess we're, we're kind of included. Like, you didn't realize how good he was until he started right. dominating the very best in the league. So, Exactly. Well, look, this, this final has been fun. The Heat steal game two. Um, you know, I even, shouldn't even say steal. They they rebounded quite nicely in the fourth quarter because it had all the textbook, you know, takings for how, you know, a road team normally wins. You know, they come out with their best shot and they got up big, but they ran out of gas and the Nuggets went on that crazy run second quarter, you know, and, and that's when you, you know, we've seen this book before. We've seen this movie before where that's where they kind of, you know, usually go away on the road in that situation, but the fourth quarter specifically, and Duncan Robinson can't talk enough about how much he's meant to this team bouncing back after, you know, some setbacks and missed opportunities in the past, but how they defended Jokic, specifically Spolstra, who doesn't get enough credit for being one of the, if not the best coaches in the league, and how they made him a scorer first was just brilliant. I mean, that's the takeaway for me. Like, they were 
that was the game plan, and it was, look, you can score, but we're not letting you, you know, two is less than three, and we're going to treat it as such. Well, and I, and I think, like, even more than that, I think they understand that the type of player that Jokic is, you're not going to be able to stop him from scoring if he decides he wants to put his back on any one of those Heat players and get two points. He can do that. I think with Spolstra, to your point, inserting Kevin Love – and now Jimmy Butler can guard Jamal Murray and forcing him to work, and Aaron Gordon doesn't have a size advantage on the inside, I just think it made Jokic's options a lot more difficult because he only had four assists. He had 40 points. But if those guys hit some of those shots, because there were some open looks, Michael Porter Jr. played horribly. I think we're having a different conversation because Jokic, instead of having 41-14-4, and four, he has 41-14-10 and 10 if those guys hit shots. I think this has been more about that Kevin Love insertion, being able to keep Jamal Murray um, you know, kind of at bay because, like I said, Jokic is going to get his, but if Jamal gets 35-2, you're not going to win. Yeah, it's, it's crazy um, to think that and and look, I see it like they miss shots, they could make them. You know, game one was similar where they missed a lot of shots at times. I know Denver lives and dies by who they are and had yeah. a chance to win down the stretch. But I'm, I guess I'm thinking more in the big picture of Spolstra just making adjustments, pushing buttons. But also, and, and this is where coaching, you know, is the ins and outs of it, but simple as just managing the flow of the game, knowing when to take a timeout, when to pull back, who to sub yeah. in, you know, playing Kevin Love game two just to kind of give them that flash there and how they use Bam out of bio in some of those pick and rolls as well. So I'm, I'm impressed with just Spolstra as a coach, how he is able to, you know, ride the wave of a game, but also kind of turn the tide with, with just experience. And I just think he's done a remarkable job. Not that Malone's done a bad job, but Spolstra is, you know, working with, I think a deck that's not as full as what Denver has. Agreed. And I think, you know, and I, I don't think even Eric Spolstra is thinking like this, but from a fan perspective, from the outside looking in, if you go into Denver and you come out 1-1 in the NBA Finals going back to Miami, that's big in of itself. But you come back 1-1 and Jimmy Butler hasn't had a good game in this series yet, I think that gives you some confidence going forward. You know, we can talk about Tyler Hero if you want to, but I think how they decide to operate from that standpoint is going to be interesting whether you even want to try to ease him back into the lineup and disrupt the chemistry right right you know because vince has been playing well plant's been down a little bit the jimmy butler thing is a good point because you expect to go back home and think okay the role players are going to play better at home and the stars on the road there could also be the potential i don't want to be a wet blanket but butler's done so much in this playoffs maybe he is running out of gas it's it's a lot to have asked him to do what he's done so far you know, what his legs look like, even, you know, with the days off and the, the long drawn out final schedule, it's, it's fair to wonder what he has left. Hey, yeah. You know, that, that's a good point. I just wonder, you know, and this is probably me being a prisoner of the regular seasons. He, he chooses to have, because it's obvious that he paces himself for these moments. So I just wonder if a shot's not falling or to your point, his legs could be gone too, but you would think that how he, completely levels up his game in the postseason compared, especially this regular season with the regular season he had not making an all-star game, but having a great enough second half to where he makes 
all NBA, you would think that he has some more in the tank, but you never mm-hmm. know to your point. I, I also just want to point out, I respect, I respect him as a player, admire what he's done. I just don't really enjoy watching Kyle Lowry play. <laughs> oh, I agree, man. I, I agree a hundred percent. Like it's just, I've never enjoyed watching Kyle Lowry play. He's just been just one of those guys for me where, you know, he he does all the dirty stuff, the charges, the little stuff. But I mean, it, dude, it's it's honestly like it's fascinating. That you're talking about pu- pushing buttons. Like the Heat need to rest their starters. Like they're getting tired. Like they're doing so much. And are. I was looking at the box score. Lowry, Zeller only played eight minutes, was minus 14. You know, Lowry was minus 15. And uh, the other one was Highsmith when he was in there for six. They got obliterated in that run. They have to find minutes for their bench, though, because the starters can't go 45-plus. Like, there's just no way. Right, and I don't even know if Zeller's playable. Like, well, that's where maybe that's where Hero, if he can play, and I don't know what the minutes look like, but it's a spark. It's just a breather. Like, I think, I think a body, in this case, wouldn't hurt. No, not at all. I agree 100%. As long as he's not going to be... Uh, a liability i think he could be you need 10 uh, to 12 i mean you need 10 to 12 minutes from somebody on the bench where it's not just you know an avalanche of points um for denver i mean denver only goes eight deep themselves so you know this is and it's kind of nice to see and and i like you know the way denver plays i think porter jr to me is the key because we've talked about this like there's times when he looks like he's on murray's level and then there's times like last game where he might as well shoot them out of the game so and know. you know what? You read my mind because I had two things. That's like I think last night one shows that I don't think he's on Murray's level at all with no, that level no. of consistency is not there. But I think two, and this is this is a question I'll ask you, and maybe this is a too simple way to look at it. But I would honestly say if Michael Porter Jr. keeps his average, at least how he's played in the playoffs these first two games. Denver has won both these games running away. Yeah, it's tough to say, though, because their offense is not really predicated on, you know, getting. It is the hot hand in a lot of ways, but it's also when push comes to shove, they're going to go two-man game with Jokic and Murray, which is exactly what you should do. So I think part of the reason why this has worked so well is everybody else, even Porter Jr. to a point, have accepted it. It could be Caldwell Pope. It could be Gordon, you know. Absolutely. Could be brown I mean, or green when, off the bench. Like, I don't, you know. When Aaron Gordon's your fourth best player, like, mm. you've got a deep team, man. Yeah. Yeah, and they've all accepted their role. So, I'm I'm excited to see. I don't think, you know, game three, we'll see. That's the one where it's not, you know, the loser of that game isn't, you know, isn't totally screwed either way. I mean, yeah, Miami would like to hold serve originally at home, but they're still going to have game four, and, you know, we're in a dogfight now. I, I would just say that. I will always respect this heat run regardless of if they get blitzed in the, in the next three games. For them to win this series, though, that would, oh. that would startle me. Like, I'm not saying shocked, but I'd be like, whoa, they actually knocked off the Nuggets. Like, that would really be the feather in but, the cap of, of uh, quite a run. But here's the thing, and maybe this is unfair, but if you look at the path that they took to get here, should it be that surprising? I, guess I'm, just, I guess I'm just looking at their roster and saying, wow, this is a title team. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Milwaukee, they beat them in five games. They really should have swept Boston. And because Thibodeau coaches his team's hard, just like Spolstra, that was going to be a dogfight. But I think that was way more about the character of the teams, way more than well, yeah. I 
you know, I just it is think unfair that we're talking about it like what's wrong with Boston, what's wrong with Milwaukee instead of just giving the Heat credit. I do agree with you there. Yeah, because, um, I mean, at this point, if they win a title, I mean, you beat Giannis, you beat Tatum and Brown. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know, man. I just, I think that, you know, on paper, on 2K, this makes no sense at all. <laughs> it <Zero>. doesn't. <laughs> they had to win the second playoff game just to even get in the playoffs. You know, they yeah. lost the first I mean, one, so. Yeah, I'm I mean, we're there, literally a Chicago Bulls game away from this never even oh. existing. Are you uh, so? Are you still thinking the Nuggets take this though, or do you go all the way with the Heat here? Yeah, I'm still liking the Nuggets here. I, I think the size over is just going to be too overwhelming at some point. The Nuggets, I think, just Jokic and Murray are yeah. the two best players in, in the series. You know, if Jimmy goes lights out the rest of the way, anything can happen. But I just think Denver is too good and too big but with the way this miami team's been playing man anything can happen i think it's going six games regardless but anything can happen we'll see man i'm excited i hope we get six if not seven uh ryan souls here on the money mitch effect i guess we can kind of wrap it up talking a little football because i had to i had a couple questions for you one being what do you think happens with deandre hopkins because i'm thinking we're not going to get a signing for a little bit i think he is going to not milk this, but let some things happen. Wait, you know, be selective with it. Well, you know, it's funny uh, because if let me ask you this for I'll answer your question with a question. Who would you rather have right now? Odell Beckham Jr. or DeAndre Hopkins? Hopkins. A hundred percent. So if you're Hopkins and you saw the money that Beckham just got, why would I want to take less? Yeah. I mean, good, so good I question. Why You would take less if you were going to a team that you believed was going to win right away and you were going to do a one-year deal. Yeah. So, And that. And team, I'm not saying you should do that, but that would be the only reason. Yeah, I think that would be the only reason because if I'm him like, and yeah, if you, if you want to win. Like if Kansas City calls and says, look, we got one year, that's all we got, but you're playing with Patrick Mahomes and then, then, you're, in, then you're in the open market. Oh, and it's perfect because he's literally like the upgrade of the Juju Smister role on steroids. Because, I mean, he's like, still like age-wise 31, and I know we're in that. We're, basically, what I'm saying is he's got one big contract left if he plays his cards right, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. So you can use this year and ball out because last year that whole Arizona situation is a disaster. Disaster. And this has been, you know, Beckham did that kind of to a degree himself. I know he's younger, but. Yeah. So that would be, I, I just, yeah. What about your team? Mm. Well, yeah, people are, you know, the Clemson, the Clemson talk is there. Um, I don't know. For his case, I'm going to put my DeAndre Hopkins, you know, you know, glasses on when I answer this one. I don't know if that's the best situation for him. It might be, given what the, you know, I don't know money-wise that we're going to break the bank here. Yeah. So that's yeah. where I don't think, you know, if, if it's going to go that way. I uh, what I would be interested in is, and it's funny, but I would be interested if a team like Green Bay decides to make a splash to try mm. to salvage what they've you know what they've lost offensively, and obviously not just Aaron Rodgers, but is that a situation where they say, "Look, we're going to go and get"? And that would be ironic as heck, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, here's the thing: DeAndre would want to have to play there too because he's a free Another agent. Part of it, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. 
if he's going to sign up for that, considering the history of the quarterbacks he's played with. I don't know. Maybe, pa- maybe Patriots could Bill could Bill go for it? Yeah, I think I think Bill wants him. I think Bill absolutely wants him. I just think it depends on on DeAndre Hopkins' trust in Mac Jones. Yeah, well, we talked about last year. Like, I think last year is a year where you say, look, we had a debacle of a situation with the co-offensive coordinators that neither one of them (laughs) were a brilliant offensive coordinator. And I think you say, look, Mac went through a lot. I think you do what we've talked about, right? You you do what you did with Tua last year. You arm him up with weapons and then, you know, it worked out in Tua's case. I mean, health-wise is one thing, but I think that would be one. And if Bill talks to him, maybe he could convince him. But, yeah, that's fair. I mean, he might not want to play or want to see him. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I, to your point though, I think you will absolutely wait because I just, it, I, if I'm him and I see what Odell Beckham got yeah, and I'm just like, why, why would I want to take less money? So I have another question for you. Do you yeah. think the Titans are going to trade Derrick Henry? Cause I'm starting to think that they will. I think they will as well. I think that at this point, Honestly, I think the Titans and the Rams are kind of in similar situations. But it's not quite as bad for the Titans. Like, they still have draft picks. Like, that, yeah, that's, that's and, huge. And you have to pay Matt Stafford $50 million two years in a row. That's a whole other issue. Yeah, the Tannehill contract's bad, but it's not Matt Stafford bad. It, exactly. But looking at Henry as an asset, like Aaron Donald is looked at as an asset, not in terms of I'm not comparing them in the caliber of player, but in terms of you are not really going anywhere but um, at least on the Vrabel standpoint you have a really good culture you need to get back some assets Henry is still worth some major assets because he's still super productive and at this point I hate to be like this because I never like to look at players as capital but if you're going to look at players as capital with the amount of carries that you have given Derrick Henry and if you can get him off your books and somebody else has to pay for the carries that you got, like if someone else has to pay for the Titans carries, then the Titans come up in that situation. Yeah. So I, I mean, I we're think, talking like over 1200 carries in the last four seasons. Yeah. So if, if Henry gets big time money, which he would absolutely deserve because I'm all for running backs, getting their bread, but somebody else would be paying him for the Tennessee Titans carries. Numbers haven't dipped completely. I mean, he had the 2020, 2021 years were just in 2019, 2020, over five a carry was crazy. He still was over four. He had 1,500 last year. Like, I know he, he missed time in 2021, but mm-hmm. he, it's still, you know, it's still looking pretty good. I just know how running backs are valued, and I know the cliff happens all the time. It does. So what's but a listen, trade man, for him look like? And right. And we've talked about this offline, though. Since Adrian Peterson. He's the only surefire running back Hall of Famer since, you know, Christian McCaffrey's got a chance, but Derrick Henry's the only surefire mm-hmm. one since. I mean, Zeke, Zeke isn't signed yet, and he's two years younger, a year and a half younger, so. Right. Yeah, and one yard in a cloud of dust with him. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. His last Cowboy play, too. Man, what a way to go out. Oh, yeah, as a center getting destroyed. Uh, I had another bold pick I was thinking of uh, based on what I've been reading, hearing, thinking. And uh, tell me, it might sound crazy, but I'm workshopping it. Okay. I think I think the Niners are going to be starting Sam Darnold week one. Sam Darnold? Oh, wow. I don't wow. think Purdy is ready, and that's my whole premise for that. I don't think he will be ready to go. Like, I think they're, and if he is, I don't know if they want to rush that back out there. That ligament injury that he suffered against you guys. 
Yeah. I mean, that was like, from what I've heard and reading on it, like it could have been, <laughs> it's in that career ending ish territory. Yeah. So I would definitely not if you rush him back. And I think that speaks to where I just don't think they're high on Trey Lance in this organization. Well, let me ask you this because is it, a, are we sure that they're not high on Trey Lance or is it a math problem where at this point, because it really just think about it, when did Trey Lance get drafted? 2019? And he played one game of college football that year. He needs reps more than anything. And I don't know. I don't want this like, to be Malik Willis, though. Because we said the same thing, and then he was horrible when they threw him out there. And that's like, it doesn't sound good that he's not getting the chance earlier. Oh, agreed. But at this point, he's going into his fourth year, and you have to treat him like he's a rookie. Well, this would be year three, 2021 draft, so... Okay. Okay. Yeah. And he had the year. He had the injury. Um. Yeah. He had the injury. What last year, where all right, that stuff started. Right, yeah. So. So yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like you gave up two number one picks, and the dude hasn't had any reps at all. So you don't even know. You don't. But I just think the way it's trending, I think I think. <laughs> Given Kyle Shanahan's, uh, I think he's going to try to roll out Darnold and start there and then see if Purdy gets healthy because I just don't know what Trey Lance is like in that in that organization. So Yeah, I think you're right, ultimately. It's going to be fun to see. Uh, any other football thoughts before we wrap this up? Anything else uh, got your attention? I'm trying to think. Honestly, man, I think the the interesting thing to me is always just who takes that next next big step um from a quarterback standpoint like i you know we've talked about herbert the last couple years him getting a new offensive coordinator you know we're gonna see if lamar jackson can can take an actual step in terms of getting that team back to being a playoff threat that's just always the big thing for me because the the way the league moves so fast and you forget that yeah, one I, guy was just an MVP, you know. No, so I know. I, it's going to be interesting. And two, I think before we get to camp, we might see a couple more big time quarterback deals get done. Well, how about a couple things that came up just now? Um, the Bills signing Floyd to a deal and then giving Oliver that huge deal. I mean, they're they're invested, man. Like they are <laughs> they're yeah. all in to try to get you know over that hump. Uh, uh-huh. well, they got to be able to protect the league. That's true, man. I uh, I think the talk about the Jets is fascinating with Rodgers now and this influx of talent. I think that they're definitely better, obviously goes without saying, but the schedule is pretty tough, and the way the AFC has been working, man, it's been Burrow, Mahomes, Allen in the Final Four for like the last three years. So are we yeah. saying that that keeps going and then there's only one spot left? And is it, you know, does Trevor Lawrence build on it? Can Herbert get there? Will Lamar Jackson be there? You know, it's going to be... I mean, the quarterback balance is so shifted towards the AFC. It's actually incredible. It really is incredible. And honestly, and no one's talking about Jacksonville, but if Calvin really looks anything like he did before he got that year of suspension and Trevor Lawrence improves, that team's going to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. I know. It's, and you know, your guys, you know, the Eagles coming out of the NFC as the favorites again. Hertz got his deal, but we've entered that state, right, where it's like, okay, now you have to, you know, we've already seen it. Guys are going to get dealt. You can't sign everybody. QB's got his money. It's well-deserved, but we're in that next phase. We're in the post-Russell Wilson deal phase. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, yeah. So, I mean, you, you got to perform. And you got to yeah. draft. I mean, that's, 
the Kansas City Chiefs, someone did the numbers, it's like 19 or 20 out of their 22, like their most recent picks, which weren't high picks, obviously. They all contributed, you know, and that's how you do it. Now, yeah. the, now the draft has even more significance because you can't afford to miss on those cheap, you know, rookie deals. No, you can't. And, and here's, it's worked out for us drafting Georgia players. So, yeah, yeah, let's just keep it, it going. Who would you say, like, if you put the Eagles at the top going into next year, who are your next two teams you're kind of looking at? Um, So, I think San Francisco is going to take a step back just because of the quarterback situation. I think they'll be really good on defense, but I think offensively, I don't know. D'Amico's a loss, too. Yeah, a big loss. I Honestly, man, that's tough because there's a lot of teams just kind of Floating around, I'm not still. I'm really not sold on Minnesota. I don't think they're gonna come out like they did last year. Man, that's a good question. I don't know. I really don't know. And and I'm not saying that the Eagles are head and shoulders above everyone else, but like you to your point, the quarterback distribution is so skewed towards the AFC. So, and yeah. can't believe the money that they play Daniel Jones is going to result in a better season than they had this season. Yeah. So my my Carolina yet. My question is, yeah. So my question is to wrap this: Could we be in a world where, if the Eagles are there for sure, Niners, whoever, could we be in a world where one of those top three NFC teams is the Detroit Lions? I think we could be. (laughs) It's possible. It is very much possible. And they finished hotter than anyone, you know. You know, they they were winning down the stretch, took that loss, you know, and then they went into Green Bay and knocked the Packers out in Rodgers' last game in Green Bay. So they finished on fire. They have a pretty good core. They keep adding a lot of skill. Hey, I'm not that's not out of the realm of possibility. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility either. But hey, I will say this just based on how Aaron Rodgers looked last year. If Jordan Love can play at that level, it is not going to be a runaway with the division for them. The Packers can still win the division. And Minnesota is not. I mean, we can say what we want. They're not a bad team either. So they're, No, they're not. It's Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the better way to look at this, Ryan, is that the the top might have taken a step back, but the middle is still as good as ever. So Yeah, yeah exactly. And, I mean, Dallas is still explosive. It's going to be interesting. Giants to see. won't be bad. Seahawks, you know, had a great year that we didn't expect. Yeah. So, yeah, right. I'm with you there. Well, Ryan Souls, this was fun. Always a blast, man, talking. I think the next time we chat, I'll be really close to football season. So we're going to have to gear up and enjoy this time off wisely. But uh, thanks Definitely, for coming on man. the show, my man. Hey, appreciate it. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of The Money Mitch Effect. Thanks again to both Ryan Souls and Joe Crisali for appearing as guests. A reminder that The Money Mitch Effect is on all your podcast platforms. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and more. We're on SoundCloud as well. And you can check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some exclusive content as well as follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. We're back next week. More hockey, more basketball talk as we get into the summer, the summer madness of 2023. For both guests, Ryan Souls and Joe Crisali, my name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. Keep enjoying sports.